And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. So this is how liberty dies. With thunderous applause. Indeed, the facts and Iraq's behavior show that Saddam Hussein and his regime are concealing their efforts to produce more weapons of mass destruction. There is no such thing as absolute privacy in America. And here's something that I don't mean to freak you out with, but I think is true. You can't handle the truth! Even our memories are not absolutely private in America. All about the memories, man. All about the memories. Any of us can be compelled. Wake up. I need you to be focused. Are you focused yet? To say what we remember. Anything else you haven't told us? Any further memory lapses or oversights, perhaps? No other memory lapses or oversights, perhaps. Even our communications with our spouses, with our clergy members, with our attorneys are not absolutely private in America. Mr. Zuckerberg, would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Um. Uh, no. If you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. In appropriate circumstances, a judge can compel any one of us to testify in court about those very private communications. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! There is no place outside the reach of judicial authority. Read my lips. No new taxes. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. True international effort to pressure. True international effort to pressure. Victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But only slightly less well known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> Nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Millions of Americans tuned in to one of the most shameful hours we have ever seen on cable television. Quagmire is dead to me and needs to be dealt with in an appropriate manner. Shame. 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 By diving deep into the waters of conspiracy. That the Salomon Brothers building in New York, right in the, uh, the heart of Manhattan, has also collapsed and cherry-picking from thousands of hours of security footage. QAnon Shaman. The so-called QAnon Shaman. QAnon Shaman. Someone named Q Shaman. Mr. Carlson told the bold-faced lie. Because I was inverted. Carlson. <coughs> that the Capitol attack, which we all saw with our own eyes, was somehow not an attack at all. That was to say January 6th was not violent, is a lie. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it is not, uh, it is not generally speaking, unruly. A lie, pure and simple. Entirely peaceful. 
sometimes angry, but entirely peaceful. I don't think I've ever seen a primetime cable news anchor manipulate his viewers. Speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And people like to conflate their opinion with the truth. They say it's my truth, which is idiotic. There's no such thing as your truth. Right? There's just the truth and there's your opinion. If it is your truth, I can immediately assume it's bullshit. I don't think I've ever seen an anchor treat the American people and American democracy with such disdain. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I challenge you on, on one of the statements that you made in the tail end of the campaign. Democracies always end the way Venezuela does. It's in the Federalist Papers, this is why we're not a democracy. We are a republic, a constitutional republic. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. your parsnips, and and I've I've continually gone down that path. Continually gone down that path that my fighting to rescue children from murder is not a fundable exercise other than being a missionary and you get mana. My ability to rescue children from suicide is not monetizable. My desire to teach people how to be free is not monetizable. These are what we'll call passion projects. That these are all things that are important to me. The abolitionist movement is a passion project because I strongly disagree with the premeditated termination of an innocent life. I'll stand on that principle regardless of where God puts me on this planet. I believe it's wrong to throw homosexuals off a rooftop. I don't believe there is such thing as an innocent person. So I'll stand on that. And I believe suicide is an epidemic. And I will always fight for that. And there are other areas that I have passion projects. That is, things that people see visibly that I do with my left hand, and there's things that I do invisible with my right hand. And that's for me. It's the way God wired me. So I wanted to do this kind of as an introduction and say um, it's been a wonderful journey sharing some of my thoughts in a podcast and kind of putting date stamps and memorials as to what my journey has been like trying to stand free in the face of those authoritarians who violate their covenant with God that they swore when they took that position. I'm honored to have met Mr. Anthony Fagitor, a law enforcement officer who has, I believe, we have grown together as friends in our understanding in that that oath, and that man is an incredible man. The courage that he has and the recognition of and his attribution and assignment of integrity to honoring his oath is unparalleled, is unparalleled. And he stands being victimized and ridiculed and slandered and defamed on doing something that's noble, righteous, and true by some pretty wicked people. And he has attempted to throw the breadcrumbs, to throw the seeds out there for people to become aware, to do some little bit of legwork, to know that what your bumper sticker is, I'm going to honor your oath, in the midst of you defying that oath. 
you, you haven't done enough study or research to understand while you say I'm going to honor my oath, your behavior is acting in violation of your oath. And he's drawing those seeds so you can draw that conclusion on your own so you can stop your bumper sticker statement and repent and say, holy smokes, this is much more difficult than I ever imagined. And I have to recognize that while I may be claiming I'm honoring my oath, I could be a hypocrite with my actions. He sowed those seeds. But unfortunately, those seeds don't get watered. They get plucked and thrown out in the sidewalk. They won't grab root because they can't hear what Anthony has to say. I get it. You got to protect your position of power. Protect. I don't know what you're protecting. I don't know what it is. It's a whole bunch of things, that's for sure. So I'm going to take a, a step back. My social media has really been um, at a trickle. And I'm, I'm communicating more with those people that embody what I'm going to be speaking about as I splice these two audio files together. So it's been real, real for me. It's been kind of therapeutic for me to create this archive of podcasts. Um, I'll continue a little bit of social media and I'll just continue to fight the fight that I'm on and trying to hold our public servants accountable through our legal system. And at the end of the day, I may lose. The system may be so burdensome and disadvantaged and have so many obstacles in it that I may have to throw my hands up and say, I am not willing to take the next step. I'm not there. But because of my ability to see human behavior and understand the process, I may hit that barrier. I may not want to submit myself to be unalived. I may not want to submit myself to the lawfare that has been foisted on people like Donald Trump and others. I don't want to get into that fight. I don't want to receive the oppression from the bureaucracy that I have to change where I live. I unfortunately have to consider that now based upon all the harm that's happened against me by public servants. They've contaminated my neighborhood, so I may have to move. It's already been a discussion with my family. But there may be a limit that I throw my hands back and say, you know what, the system is just so bad, and maybe I have to go somewhere else. Not there yet, but I understand that's a possibility. Standing free is not desired. I provided many, many receipts. I don't know if you're aware of what's happening in our political system right now, but there's been recent discussions that for the safety and security of our country that the Fourth Amendment may no longer be a protection for us. The politicians are looking to eviscerate our Fourth Amendment right to be secure and our persons, papers, properties, and effects absent of probable cause for a warrant. They're saying, nah, safety and security means we, we have the ability to do whatever we want and not violate that right. We're on that tipping point. It's already being argued. I understand this. It's not where I may choose to be. Maybe that's why 
Mark Zuckerberg is building a $250 million, 5,000 square foot palace underground on the 1,600 acres in Maui. Maybe he's going to be one of the merchants as in Revelation 16 that the rocks are going to tumble down and he's going to be underneath of the rocks in a bunker, in a cave. I don't know. But, sorry, went on long enough. I'm going to add this as a splice to the video that I shared with my people in private that have kind of given me the nod that I should put it publicly. And I guess this will be my last podcast because I don't want to re-up subscribe. Why do I spend money when I only have so many subscribers? Why am I investing money to an audience that doesn't recognize or assign me value? That's okay. I have to move. I have to go a different direction. Thanks. Oh, this message is not directed to those people in my private groups. You know this. You know this. But my message is detestable to the world. So why keep shouting in a world where the message is detestable? Go where they want to, where the ears want to hear. Where the ears want to hear. I'll be available for the ears that want to hear. They can connect with me through my email at culturecontrarian at protonmail.com. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Twitter. They can find me on YouTube. There's ability for people that may have ears that want to listen to connect. My door's open. But I, I can stop shouting. All right. Hope you find Hi, this is Ryan. Greetings, guys. I was thinking of creating a, a podcast. But then I thought better of it because I wanted to speak to you directly because I think this particular brain flow will not be received well as a public broadcast. But I'm willing to let my brain flow in this thinking and allow you to determine whether I should share this publicly or not. Um, I had had a lengthy conversation with some friends last night, and it, it was tough for all involved. It was very, it was very powerful. It was very exploratory, very learning, very humbling. It was a very powerful conversation, and um, I had to do a post mortem with my wife, and then I did my own prayer and devotion time, and didn't get much sleep. And one thing that kept creeping into my mind was this word reasonable. Or reasonableness and when I came to my realization in our culture and our society is divided we have left party right party we have public servants and we have slaves if you don't like that word I'm sorry but we're all slaves under being compelled to obey laws statutes ordinances codes on and on we're compelled to submit to those in authority. And the word reasonableness has no objective standard because those on the left consider their consider or justify or rationalize their thinking and their behavior as being reasonable in opposition to the right who believes that their opponents are not being reasonable. So 
when we try to reason soundly with people, we are both coming from a different foundation of our own standard, our subjective standard, as to what we would call reasonable. And now, in our legal system, they have their own definition and criteria for assigning reasonableness. And that word pops up all through Supreme Court precedent and case law. It's all over the place. So the other night I was listening to Stephen Molyneux and he was talking about UPB. Universally preferred behavior. And it was a very interesting lecture as he was free-flowing his thoughts of this particular universal performance behavior, UPB. And it was not through a biblical lens. Every time I was hearing him talk, my wife was hearing him talk, it's like, oh man, close your brain and open the Bible, man. And universally preferred behavior is pretty much written in the Ten Commandments. And the, the, the objective of that behavior is don't harm others and don't harm yourself. Very principle, very simple, basic principle. Do not trespass and do not harm. Very much a volunteeristic type of ideology as a servant, serve. And that we try to misdirect repentance or forgiveness on the side of the victim that the victim desires this um, someone is harmed someone is aggressed against they're beaten up and that we are told that we need to forgive the person that beat them but the conversation never goes to the person that committed the assault or trespass and say listen dude you violated another human being. You need to find it in your soul that you need to take the steps to seek forgiveness and restore. But that person doesn't have the same worldview, so they can't hear it. So all of the things that I've been involved with in advocating for my standing on my constitutional rights to be free are based upon that very basic principle in the covenants of the Ten Commandments, which absolutely were, were replaced by a higher law through Christ coming, that he fulfilled that law completely and set forth new covenant for us, which I strive to live in, and I fail daily. I fail daily. My worldview is so deeply rooted in my sin-broken state that I have to live in a constant state of repentance. It's constant. It's perpetual. And I know that I'm blanketed by Christ's righteousness and the blood of the cross. I know that. I'm secure in that. But because I am, I've been granted the gift of special revelation and I've received it and I embrace it and I wrap and I'm cloaked in it, I know that it's covering a wretched carcass of sin. Now, my sin, in contrast to another person's sin, is irrelevant. My sin is in the in the majesty of the most righteous king, and he 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 sees it. 
but I am blanketed. So that, that blanket of, of the grace of Christ means that when I die, it's not seen. But while I dwell in this fleshly carcass, my sin is inescapable. I rebel. I fight against it. There's, there are things that I do overtly which are sinful. There are things that I know my body is telling me don't do this, but I do it anyway. And that my thought life is filled with sin. And I am in constant battle against my sin. Doctrinally, that's called perseverance after the saints. That I'm in a continued journey to persevere after the saints to scrub out my sin. I've used a metaphor in the past that I have a wardrobe, a big closet filled with clothing. And that clothing has been acquired from when I stopped growing, meaning my body's gotten bigger and changed dimensions and weight, that I have clothing that is worn and tattered, but it's comfortable. And then I have fresh, unpackaged, pressed, white Oxford shirts. And that the white Oxford shirts are those times where I am rebelling against sin and I'm dressed pretty or handsome. But there are times where I take out a tattered clothing, which is something a sin, and I wear it. And I walk around in that sin. Now, my journey is to recognize my closet is filled with tattered clothing and with clean pressed clothing. And that I want to reduce the frequency in which I am walking in tattered clothing in my sin. And whether I'm able to take that clothing and drop it off to somewhere else and dispose of it is up to me. Or did it somehow miraculously wind up back in my closet even after I took it out? I equate it to someone who may struggle with an addiction. That addiction is one of their pieces of clothing in their closet. And while they're in the midst of satisfying that addiction, they're wearing that piece of tattered clothing. But they may take it off and put it in the closet for a period of time. And that period of time may be a day, three days, a week, a month, several months, a year, until they can actually get that clothing out of the closet. But with addiction, it's possible that that clothing may show up back in that closet years down the road. But that doesn't mean that it can be taken off and put back in. Because our God is a forgiving God. And in that addiction, we pray we don't trespass against another or harm another. And we're able to, to, take, to take that one instant that we wore it and we go, holy crap, I got to get this clothing off of me and put it back in the closet. Put it back in. And work on a, a path and a process to get it out of your closet. That's a very difficult journey to handle as a private individual, occupying the, the gray matter between your ears. We benefit from accountability. My journey is being willing to submit in transparency, authenticity, and vulnerability to others that have a similar worldview to me 
that hold me accountable to scripture, which is I claim is my authority, to say, stop and be my mirror with God's word. And you need to be reasonable and loving and forgiving and seeking repentance. All based in restoration. I'm aware that the general public loathes me. They detest me. Maybe because of my brain, maybe because of my words, maybe because of my actions. And they know nothing about me. They've done no research on me. But it's easier to vilify and attack me and try to focus on the lumber in my eye, which I gladly recognize I have a ton of lumber in my eye. But you freaking wicked people that won't talk to me directly, that run and hide from me and say nasty things about me in your claim of spiritual authority are being influenced by a demon. It's not Christ. It's not God. You don't even live in Matthew 18. You live in a world of gossip. You live in gossip. You won't confront me. I've always made myself available. I've attempted to reach out and I'm ignored. I'm not going to pull the horse to the water. I'm just going to point to that living water and say, man, you should be, should be drinking from that. You're going to claim, make these accusations of me is more about you. That you're not reasonable. You're not loving. You're judgmental. You're accusatory. And if I've offended you, if I've offended you, bring my offense to my face. Bring it to me. Am I opposed to hearing my sin? Absolutely not. Help me scrub it out. But speak to me in truth and love and from scripture so I can hear it. Because is it possible that you don't have enough information as to what's happening because you're closed off into seeing, reading, or learning from which I speak? I talk about this subjective standard of reasonableness. And mine is really weighted to one side. My teachings, where I put in the virtue continuum, and I talk about, inside my virtue continuum, I talk about things that we are on an ethical and moral pendulum or um, teeter-totter, there's things in our personality which we may have an excess in ethic and moral evaluation. And there's areas where we may be deficient. And you know what? In our marriages, our spouse, we may be on the same side of the teeter-totter or our spouse may be on the other side of the teeter-totter. And relationally, we're balancing back and forth. But recognize which side of the teeter-totter you're sitting. Are you sitting on the side of excess? Are you sitting on the side of deficiency? Relative to the virtues, which I claim come out of the Bible. 
My teaching comes from Scripture. I'm willing to examine myself and I'm willing to be held accountable to the evidence, not narrative. I would love to drop names out there, but the people that are reviewing this right now know those names. You know them. And there are names inside my small group which are that accountability for me. And I, my degree of trust that I extend to anyone is based upon my degree of risk that I extend to that person and that the, the, the intimate things that are important to me, I am going to hold back until my risk has been minimized, that I'm comfortable with things that I share because it's a big sword that I hand over to someone. When I hand that sword over to someone, I'm doing it with the trust that they will use that information to protect me or they could turn that sword and stab me. And the risk for me is that I've gotten to the point where that person that I'm willing to put that sword in their hand with the information about me that I'm going to trust that they won't stab me. And if they do stab me, that's just more learning. That's not relationship ending for me. It's the opportunity to discuss it for the person to recognize how they may have intentionally or unintentionally stabbed me with my personal information and see if there's a way to restore. And you know, I've, I'm not going to mention his name, but there's a friend I've had for 10 years that did that. I gave him the sword and he unintentionally stabbed me. Unintentionally. And I brought it to his attention and I said that as a result of this, I have to withdraw a little bit and I need to heal and I need to get some distance from you while I go through that. I'm not ending our relationship. I'm just getting some distance. The frequency of our communication is going to be less. And then I will come back to you and I will say, I can't immediately return to the degree of trust I had when I gave you that sword. But over time, I believe I will get to a place with you if you're willing to meet me where we can go beyond and I can give you a bigger sword. And that relationship went in that direction. That that injury hurt. I got the distance. I was able to heal. We restored and I gave him more information and I told him that metaphor of the sword and he has honored and respected that for years. That to me is life. That I want to surround myself with those kind of people. My circle of 10 as Simon Sinek or Leo Biscaglia or or many people would say, surround yourself with those 10 people. Not the 10 people that, that I want to accumulate the wealth like the Bezos and Musk's. But I would want to have people like Jordan Peterson and Thomas Sowell 
in my 10, but that's not real. And honestly, the people that are in my 10 provide for me the things that I need in my spiritual growth. And I want to be part of their 10. I want to be the kind of person that is considered to be part of their 10. I'm not saying 12 for a reason. So I, I'd like your feedback to see if this is something that I should put in a podcast or not. This was just a brain dump, and I, I wanted to archive it. So let me know your thoughts, guys. Take care.